Why don't you get your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20. And today is always a fun time that we have um, every year. Uh, we started doing this, I don't know, four or five years ago. And uh, we started doing a, a weekend called I Heart My Church. Now, if you're new and or, or you're new this year and you've never been a, done an I Heart My Church weekend, by the way, you can get the t-shirt. They're $5 t-shirts. They cost us a lot more than $5. It's not about making money. It's just about loving our church. Because when, when we started, when, when God spoke to, to Julie and I to, to start this church, we just had a vision of, of nothing against any other church, but just some different things. Like we wanted a place where grace was experienced, where purpose was pursued, right? Where the kingdom was first. We, we just, there were some things we wanted to see lived out, but most importantly, we wanted a place where church was enjoyed and not just endured because I've been to some and you have too, that it was endured. The pastor was mad at everybody you had to wear all these starch clothes. Everybody seemed angry and judgmental and hateful. And we were mad at everybody that wasn't at church. And the music was terrible. Because nobody told Brother Fred that he couldn't carry a tune if you gave him four or five gallon buckets. Well. Right? So we've been to some of those churches. Right? I mean, we, we just, let's be honest, we've had those experiences. And, and I think there should be a marked difference, and you've heard me say this, but there should be a marked difference on the look on your face when you're going into a church and into a colonoscopy. Those cannot look the same. And they should also not look the same when you come out. And so... We wanted to have a church where you don't even have to believe in God to come and enjoy it. Like it, you can be an atheist and just hang out here because like, well, they're all friendly and the coffee's hot and kind of like the music and it's a positive environment. Don't really believe anything they're saying, but that's okay. We wanted a place where you could come if you don't even believe like us. We wanted a place where there was no dress code, where there wasn't a certain way you had to wear your hair or not wear your hair. We wanted a place where tattoos were welcome, even if they were not crosses. <laughs> And so we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just love our church? And if you think about it, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I can't say that. I don't love church. It's because somebody did it wrong. That's right. It really is. And you think about it. People have no problem loving all types of things. Like me, I love a salted caramel truffle blizzard from Dairy Queen because I'm convinced baby angels wrote the recipe. <laughs> right? I love little dogs in people clothes. If you're having a bad day, that makes you happy. I don't know why. It's just all of a sudden you're having a bad day and you see a picture of a little bitty dog wearing grown-up people clothes and it's just like it's hard to have a bad day anymore. <laughs> right? And we don't get on to people when they say, I love my salted caramel truffle blizzard or, or I love my soy vanilla mocha frappuccino soy latte coffee thing because that's why God gave us Starbucks so we could strengthen our ability to be affirmative about the decisions that we make. And we had to make 37 affirmative decisions in order to get one cup of coffee. It was about character building, not about coffee. And so, and so it's okay to love that or to love this. And I'm saying it's okay to love your church. It's interesting. Somebody can say, I love my dog and they can put pictures of their dog and those little cutout sticky things on their car, you know, where it's like big person, little person, dog on the back of the minivan going down the road. I don't have a problem with that, but you put, I love my church. And they're like, oh, they're in a cult. <laughs> they're in a cult. 
that's their problem. I can see the problem here. They're in a cult. And so we just thought it would be cool if we, if we could love our church. And when you think about it, and, and I'll talk more about this, but when you think about it, really the things that people resist church for, the reasons people resist church, are the things the church should have been resisting all along. And so I want to talk to you today about joining this movement that Jesus started. Because Jesus came 2,000 years ago not, not to establish a religion, but to start a movement. And it kind of changed everything, but I think through the course of history, things have gotten blurred, and in the world in which we live today, things, lines have gotten crossed. And so I want to talk about this movement that Jesus came to start. And, and what I want to say is that when you really think about it, most of the, when people talk about the bad experience or the reason why they're resistant to church, if we really boil it down, they're resisting something we as the church should have been resisting all along. Judgment, Hatred, criticism, right? We resisted the idea that you can't come as you are because you have to talk like us, dress like us, act like us, cut your hair like us, wear your makeup like us. Cool story. One time there was this pastor, he was telling this story that, that a man in his congregation had been inviting this guy who, who did not know Christ at all, had been inviting him to church, inviting him to church, inviting him to church, because that's what we're supposed to do, like try to bring people to Jesus. And the guy says, finally, okay, I'm going to go to church with you tomorrow. So he goes to pick him up. He walks out of his house wearing a black t-shirt and neon green. It says, crazy mother. Yes, it said the other word that I left out. If you're wondering what was the word I left out, talk to one of our guest experience team today. They'd like to tell that to you. <laughs> but, but so all of a sudden he, he's kind of at this, this crucible, this crisis. Like our church is broadcast on TV. And it was. And they came in, and the only seats available, right on the front, because those are the last ones to fill up most of the time, let's be honest. I don't know why everybody's fighting for the back seats. I don't know if you think somebody's going to spontaneously combust or something's going to happen, but everybody typically fights for the back seats in church. And they're on the front, and the pastor looks out from backstage and is like, OMG. They're on TV. They have crowd shots. This guy doesn't know it's worship. He thinks it's a concert. He's now in the front, jumping up and down, black t-shirt, crazy mother. <laughs> but here was the thing. All of those people were faced with a conundrum because if they tell their friend that they've been trying to invite to church all these times that he can't come to church with that t-shirt, you've just said, we don't accept you the way you are. And you've got to change to be like us, to be accepted by us. And Jesus did nothing like that. Have you ever done a character study on the 12 disciples? I'm not saying they were crazy. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I'm saying they had some issues. Right? They had some issues. This is the sermon that changed everything. They had some issues. And so... And so I just, I think when it comes to an outsider's perspective about church, from an outside view, this is, this is the experience they should be having, that when an outsider looks at Christian people, they should be thinking, those are just people who follow the teaching of a man that say he could show them a path to God. Now, obviously, we think it's more weighty than that, but I'm, we're talking about people that don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus. They're just saying, hey, they follow the teachings of a man who said that he knew the path to God, and he really only had one mandate, and it was kind of in, in three facets, and the mandate was love. Love God, love your neighbor, and love your enemy. And when we boil down Christianity, all, all that it really was in its beginnings 
was an empty tomb and a mandate to love people. Right? There's nothing offensive about that. In fact, the only thing for 300 years of the church, the only thing that was offensive about Christianity, the only thing that was resistible about Christianity is Christians had to be insanely loyal to this man named Jesus. And so the only resistible thing is that these people who followed this man who said he could show them where God was and, and, and who told him to love everybody, the only thing resistible was the fact that, that well, they're unwavering in their commitment and their loyalty to Jesus. And, and the persecution was because when, when you're a king and you have a people and then your people start saying they have a different king, that creates problems. And so these Christians are saying, Jesus is our king. And people like Caesar and Nero, they're, they're not a hip on that. They're like, no, no. No, you can't have another king. And so this was the persecution. This was the problem. Wouldn't it be great today if the only thing off-putting about Christianity was that, man, those people are really faithful to that Jesus guy. Right? That, that there wasn't, you know, Christians holding some of the signs that we hold about what God hates and who God hates. Like, wouldn't it be great if it was all just this? There's an empty tomb. They love everybody. They're really loyal to this Jesus guy. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that, be, that, would, be, that would be a powerful movement? So really the things people struggle with when it comes to church and Christianity are things that are not even germane to Christianity at all. And they're actually things that Jesus showed up and changed. He showed up and he introduced something new and it was very different than religion. In fact, the only people that didn't like Jesus were religious people. The only people that Jesus couldn't get along with. Jesus had no problems with pimps and prostitutes. He had tons of problems with the preachers. Right? And so Jesus introduces, introduces something that, that was brand new because before Jesus, there was this temple model. This temple model of religion. What was the temple model? Sacred places, sacred people, sacred texts. Right? So you had to come to these sacred places. And then these sacred people could read from these sacred texts. And there were these sacred relics and sacred rituals, right? And now this was, this was a religion, but more than that, it was a monument or a museum, but not a movement. In fact, some of you had bad experiences in churches because you went to a church thinking it was a movement and it was a monument. And you stepped on one of the sacred artifacts. You didn't sing from the right hymnal. You didn't wear the right clothing and you didn't say the right things and you didn't dress the right way. And now all of a sudden you, you'd knocked over the Mona Lisa. And so the arrival of Jesus signals something new. And if you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, isn't this what we do today? Like sacred text, sacred person, sacred place. You need to understand there is nothing sacred about this building other than the fact that this is where we gathered. It's concrete, steel, and sheetrock. It, it used to be a fabric store, if I've been told correctly. Right? Because according to Jesus, there is no place that you can go to that is more sacred than you because you have become the temple of his spirit. And so, so we don't need sacred places today because there's no place we could have that would be more sacred than you. And we don't have sacred people. I don't know if you've figured this out. I'm more screwed up than you. 
And, and if you haven't figured that out, then we've got a long road of disappointment ahead of us. And, and so I'm no more sacred than you. In fact, the New Testament says we're all priests. We're all a kingdom of priests. I'm no more priestly than you are. The only reason I'm up here is because I'm good at talking. Right? There are some of you that are good at really good things and cool things. The only thing I got is I can talk. Like some of you are engineers and your CPAs and your lawyers and your school teachers and you know all this cool stuff and have all these skills and all I can do is talk. That's how I got up here. Right? And so, so there's nothing more sacred. And now it's not, the text is inspired, but it's not sacred in that now everybody can have the text. You can have a copy. In fact, you probably have a digital copy on your phone, on your iPad, on your tablet, whatever it is you have. And you have a written copy at home somewhere. And we can all, and so Jesus started something new. The Jesus movement was a new covenant, a new commandment, a new ethic. It was a new movement. That was his model. So there's this temple model, and then there's this Jesus movement. In fact, when Jesus talked about the church, he didn't use the word church. He used the word ecclesia. Ecclesia actually means gathering or assembly of people united in cause and purpose. So ecclesia was about a movement of people, not a monument of a building. I know it seems odd to say, I hope we build a building, and then to say it's not about a building. But it's not really conflicting. We need a place to gather. We're supposed to gather, be encouraged, be equipped, be sent out from a place. But the real ministry we do is outside of these walls, not inside of these walls. And, and I'm fine to gather anywhere you guys want to gather. I mean, we're supposed to gather according to the New Testament. That's a reality. And we can gather in an asphalt parking lot, but that's going to be weird in August. Because you're going to smell stuff. Mostly your neighbor. Nobody's going to be raising their hands because nobody's going to be sure. No. And so it's, it's a good place to gather. But, 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 but Jesus, when, when he talked about the, what we call church, he talked about the iglesia, the movement, the, the assembly, the gathering. Where do we get this word church? Well, the Bible translators, uh, actually kind of the funny thing, I think um, Tyndale was actually murdered for using the right words. But um, the Bible translators used a German word. That German word was church. Church means house of the Lord. And so all of a sudden, this, this movement idea starts being reengaged as kind of a sacred place idea. But Jesus never wanted that. He, he, wanted, he wanted a movement. In fact, the Jesus movement is less complicated because there aren't sacred rituals and sacred relics and sacred places and all of that is out of the way. However, the Jesus movement is more demanding. Because in, in a religious system, you can do all the religious things and look very religious. But in Jesus' movement, it's not about doing the religious things. It's about are you being transformed by his presence or not? Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, hey, hey, a new commandment. This is John 13. He said, a new commandment. Now, they would have gotten out because a rabbi, a teacher, is about to give a new commandment. This was big doings. And so they'd gotten out their, their tablet and their stylus, and they're like, okay, Jesus, we are ready. New commandment. And, he, and their thing is, it's going to be deep. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And he says, here's the new commandment. Love others as I've loved you. Well, how did Jesus love them? Well, he's about to go die for them. We could probably spend the rest of our lives just trying to live that one commandment. 
love others the way Jesus loved us. Right? Like, here's the movement. Just love others. See, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a temple system, there are places to hide. There are loopholes. There are rituals. But in the Jesus movement, it's all about heart transformation. And you can't hide from that because you love people or you don't. So it's less complicated, but it's far more demanding. So for all this time, Christianity was simple. For 300 years, Christianity was simple. A man who said he knew a way to God, an empty tomb, and a command to love everybody, even your, even your enemies, which for some of you may be your neighbors, but even your enemies. And so what happened? Well, in the fourth century, mostly because of Constantine, Christianity became the religion, the acceptable legalized religion of the Roman Empire. And now Christianity went from being a persecuted minority to being an empowered and prestigious majority because now it paid to be a Christian, literally paid to be a Christian. And now there was clout with being a Christian. There was political advantage to being a Christian. There was monetary advantage to being a Christian. And now it wasn't about these persecuted people that were just called to love everybody and, and held to the teachings of this man, Jesus. Now we started erecting these sacred places. And we appointed sacred people. And they read from sacred text. And now we take the movement of Jesus, which was this very simple movement around this claim that he made and this life that he lived. And we started trying to cram the temple movement back into a temple, I mean, the, the Jesus movement back into a temple model. And that, that rocked on until the 16th century. And in the 16th century, mostly led by Martin Luther, was the Reformation. It was based on these sola statements, sola gratia, sola fida, sola scriptura, Right? What does that mean? Only grace, only faith, only scripture. In other words, it's a reformation to say, hey, this is not about sacred people, sacred text, and sacred places. We, we are saved by faith alone in God's grace alone, and scripture is the authority, not just what every man says. It was an awesome movement because now we're trying to extract the movement from the temple model. But here's the problem. We gave the Old and New Testament to people that had not been taught how to interpret the Old and New Testament. And while, the, while, while all of Scripture is equally inspired, it is not all equally applicable. If it were, my parents would have been obligated to stone me when I was 15. I didn't say I'd be obligated to get stoned. I said I'd be obligated for them to stone me with rocks and so I think we're all thankful, I know I'm thankful that, that not all scripture is taken exactly in the same application. And so here was the problem. Now people took scripture and they turned it into a bat and they decided which ones were the most important to enforce on everyone else. And the reason there are so many Protestant churches is not because we couldn't decide how to love people. It's because we couldn't decide which scriptures were the most important and how to apply them. And so you know what was lost? Doctrine wasn't lost. Love was. I grew up in, in a denomination that, that we were all part of a denomination in different churches and we didn't like each other. And we supposedly had the same doctrine. And so what, what I want to do in, in our time 
together is I want to look at four, what I, the time I have left, I want to look at four ideas that I think were diluted by the temple model. And I want to look at them from, from the perspective or the context of the Jesus movement. So you may want to write these down. It'd be a great thing to, to study, to read over, just to write down, to try to remember. But here's the first one. The first one is um, this idea um, that the church is a body and not a building. The church is a, a body and not a building. And this, this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ. Now look at this. And each one of you is a part of it. So, so Paul is talking to us, to you, to me. And he's saying, you're, you are the body of Christ. You, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, that means each one of you is gifted and designed by God to bring value to the body of Christ. The same way my index finger brings value to the function of my hand and the function of my body, because how could I scratch my nose if I did not have my trusty index finger? And he's saying, each one of you has value and you bring that to the body. And here's what he's saying. If you're not present, something is missing. And if you're not present, you're missing something. Do you know what you are if you're not part of the body? You're an amputated body part. In other words, you're gross. That's weird. Right? Because if, if my hand is not attached to my body, something is missing and my hand is missing something. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. If you're not a part, something's missing. And because, see, in the, in the, temple, in the temple model, religion was all about consumption, consumerism. People were a part of the church because of the benefit. They were part of the church because it appeased conscience. They were part of the church because they were trying to make God happy with them. In fact, in fact, if you're one of those people that try to figure out how much, how close can I get to sin and God still be happy with me, you are part of the temple model. Okay, well, I'll just... just <laughs> mm. Right? As a pastor, you get those questions from time to time. Like, pastor, is it, is it okay to go to the club? I don't know if we're asking the right question, bro. I mean, like, let's, let's think about why do we need, like, let's, let's play this out a little bit. Because I think if we're asking the question to try to figure out how, how much I can move away from God and God still be happy with me, if that's the question that we're asking, I, I, think, I think we're really approaching this from the wrong perspective. Like if you're trying to figure out what is the least amount of religious duty I can do and God still bless me, you're in the temple model, bro. You haven't even found grace yet. <laughs> and so the temple model is all about consumerism. I, I want to give so I can get. Sometimes I just let it sink in. I want to do so I can get. I want to show up because I need. And if I don't need anything, I don't need to show up. Right? The, the Jesus model is very different. It's all about engagement. It's about the value you bring when you're here. That when you're here, then we're not missing something and you're not missing something. It's about, it's about what you have to contribute, not what you can consume. And so with Jesus, his model is all about engagement. It's not this idea that, well, I don't really have to go and I can stay at home and watch Christian TV and just be me and the Lord have a good time. 
Good for you and the Lord, but the rest of us are trying to take over the world. We're actually trying to do what God called us to do while you're over there having a me, myself, and I party. And that's not the Trinity, by the way. <laughs> right? Because think about it. Why, why would I stay at home and, and just say, well, I can be saved and not be a part of a, of a church and, and not be involved in this and not be engaged? Why would I cheat myself? And why would I cheat the body when I could say, I'm going to go engage with people of like faith. I'm going to be strengthened. I'm going to be built up. I'm going to strengthen others. I'm going to build them up. And together, together, we can actually make a difference in our community and the world around us, which is exactly what Jesus asked us to do. Jesus never asked us to stay in our living room and try to have a one-person church. He asked us to engage with the body of Christ and change the world around us. My God, that's good preaching. You ought to be excited or... Something. I will preach one day with a GoPro on my head so that you get to see what I get to see. <laughs> see, according to Paul, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors. We are representatives of a king. We are representatives of a kingdom. And our whole job is to go out and engage with each other and then engage in the world around us and represent our king, this king that we are loyal to, to the world around us by loving and serving and giving and helping. So, so the first idea that you could write down is that the church is a body, not, not a building. Here's the second one that you could write down. The goal is serving, not being served. The, the actual goal that Jesus gives us is serving and not being See, every other kingdom of the world, every other kingdom of the world, it's all about being served. Royalty is served. Royalty has servants. But Jesus comes along and totally turns that pyramid upside down. He shifts the whole paradigm and he says, that's not how it works here, right? In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 20, um, the, the disciples are walking on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem and, and they're having one of those, it's a pastor, it's really like the first pastor's conference conversation because they're talking about who's the greatest and who's going to be closest to God and who's going to be closest to Jesus and who gets to sit at his right hand. And, you know, because in, in, they're thinking in the kingdom, if the king's at the top and I'm right at his right hand, that means there's a lot of people under me and I get a good bed and I get some good food, right? And have lots of power. Might even get one of those cool rings or something like that, right? You know, and so they're having this argument about, about who is going to be served the most because they're going to be the closest to Jesus when Jesus takes over in Jerusalem and Jesus kind of stops and says, hey guys, let's huddle up. Right? Jesus did a lot of these huddles with the disciples. He said, he called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And they're like, we know, we were just talking about that, Jesus. No kidding. Like, we were just talking about how we're going to be with you at the top and people are going to like massage our feet and bring us food. And like, this oh, is going to be awesome, Jesus. And then Jesus on a dime turns the whole thing upside down. He says, not so with you. Hold up. I want to renegotiate my contract. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That word's courier is what it means. Like you're going to be the errand board for everybody. <laughs> whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. That's bond servant that is obligated to serve. And all of a sudden, I think they're doing what some people do. Like, oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, hold up, Jesus. 
Like, we've been through a lot with you, man. You know, Peter's sitting there like, you called me the devil. You know, it's like, and now you're telling me that I got to be everybody's slave? That's what Jesus said. Hey, in my kingdom, the least person is my, in my kingdom is the one that served the most. And the greatest person in my kingdom is the one who is serving the most. The least is the one who is being served. And the greatest is the one who is serving. And Jesus, in one idea, turns this upside down. And then they get to Jerusalem, and John picks up the story, John 13. And they get into the upper room, and Jesus does something very awkward because they think he's the king, he's the Lord, he's the Messiah. And Jesus takes off his outer robe and puts a towel around his waist and gets a water basin. And the king, the creator, the Messiah, the teacher, kneels down and starts washing the feet of the disciples, one of which was Jesus. I'm not, sorry. One of which was Judas. Jesus was there, but Jesus washed Judas' feet. I can't love my enemy. Jesus watched Judas' feet. Wouldn't have been my first pick either. I'd cut him off. Because <laughs> the man doesn't have any feet, can't wrap me out. But I'm just saying, that's more the way we think, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> but Jesus washes the feet of Judas. And all of his, it freaked them all out. And then he says this, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He's like, this is how it works in my kingdom. Saved people serve people. It is impossible to be in my kingdom and not be bent towards serving. It is impossible to be bent towards being served and really be in my kingdom. By the way, if you'd like to join a dream team, and get involved in serving Thursday at 6 o'clock. We will hook you up. But that's what he said. This is about, I remember early on in the church, um, one of the ushers at the time, we were in this really dingy hotel. Does anybody remember that hotel? Were any of you there? Yeah, some of you crazy people were there. And uh, we were all nuts in that <laughs> Jesus was so good to us. But um, it's a miracle that any of that even worked. But anyways... <laughs> Um, but, but we were in this hotel and I don't even know if we had a hundred people. And, and one of the, one of the ushers came to me, very sweet, very sincere, very much appreciated him. And, and, and he said, you know, um, pastor, it's, it's Sunday and you're the pastor. And so, and so we're going to, we're going to make sure that you have an usher just to assist you with whatever you need, just to serve you all morning. If you need water, whatever you need. And I appreciate the sentiment. I did. I really did. Um, and I told them very much, I appreciate that sentiment. And that means a lot to me. But, you know, we got like 100 people. We're doing one service. You know who really is going to need help this morning? The children's pastor. And so if I weren't speaking, I would actually be serving in children's ministry this morning. But I can't serve in children's ministry. Same thing today. If I, if I weren't actually speaking this morning, I'd be serving in children's ministry. And so since I can't serve in Pathway Kids, why don't you assign that guy to go help the children's pastor and serve in Pathway Kids? And I think that's what they did. I don't know how all that worked out. But here's my point is I did, I, what I was trying to say is I don't need to be served. And, and just because I'm up here with a microphone, I'm not trying to be served. I'm just trying to serve other people. In fact, if you're, on our, if you're on our staff, you have to serve outside of your job description. So like for me, Julie and I, we lead a life group. I'm not paid to lead a life group. The elders have not mandated that I lead a life group. But I lead a life group because I'm serving. 
right? That's where I serve outside because once I'm paid, I'm not serving anymore. I'm being compensated, right? Does that make sense? So with all of our team, we tell them, hey, we have this value of serving and we teach this value of serving to our people. And so each of you have to find a place to serve in an area of your passion and giftedness outside of your job responsibilities. Because we so much believe that saved people serve people. It's how the people are served into the kingdom. That's how it's built. The people that have accepted Christ this weekend. By the way, last year, Nearly 400 people accepted Christ in a pathway service. They were, all say, they were all served into a decision and a commitment to follow Jesus. They were served that way. So the goal is serving, not being served. Here's, here's number three. Spirituality is determined by how well you love, not by how much you know. Spirituality, being spiritual... It's about how well you love, not how much you know. In fact, Paul, um, it's all over the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. John really talks about it. In fact, John says it this way. If we can't tell you love people, then we can't assume you love God. Like John's just straight up with it. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, 22. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, 22. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is insight and special knowledge and special revelation and being able to wow people with your ability to discern, understand, and show them the deep things of God. Is, is that what it said? Oh, darn. I'm sorry. That's just what I thought. Now let's read what it says. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is love. You can't get more spiritual than, than love. Joy and peace and temperance and all these things. You see, you know what I love about this is you, you don't even have to be able to read to be spiritual. Right? Like you don't have to have a Bible school degree to be spiritual. You don't have to be raised in church to be spiritual. Some people raised in church are the least spiritual people I know. Because spirituality is this right here, love. And so you don't, you have, there's no qualifications. You don't have to know anything to be spiritual. And here's the thing. These are all horizontal, not vertical. Because the proof of my love for God is how well I love others. Like these are all vertical. It's how I engage with the world. Is there love? Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there patience? Is there self-control? Is there kindness? When somebody cuts you off, is there kindness there? Is there a prayer there or is there sign language there? Like I had to struggle with that one. I'll just say right here, I struggle with that one. Julie won't even let me drive most of the time. She's like, Jesus, bless him. Just bless him, Lord. I have that problem with the people that try to cut in and make room where there's no room. And so I keep closing the gap so they can't, you know, because when they put up the road construction sign, they say merge left and people can't understand what merge left means. So they just keep going right until they're all stuck. And now they're trying and now everybody's got to stop for them. If you're one of those people, I have a problem with you. <laughs> and so I try to get as close as I can to the car because like, I, no, you had the same five mile notice that I had. Tomorrow. I merge left. You're not going to come roaring up here and try to squeeze in. No. It's not about being spiritual right now. It's about you're stupid. 
So needless to say, yeah, C is the best preacher I've done all day right there. And so now you know how screwed up I am and why I have a therapist. (laughs) And so these are actually horizontal. They're supposed to be experienced by the world around you. They are sacrificial. Sometimes they cost you something. They are cross-cultural. They work no matter what language you speak, what country you're in, what ethnicity you are. They, They work all the time. They are unnatural because remember the Jesus method, the Jesus movement is less complicated but more demanding. See, never be fooled by people who know a lot but love a little because spirituality is more about how much you love than how much you know. And then here's the last thing. Holiness holiness is achieved by being a part of, not being set apart from. See, it's a big one for me because you had to be raised in my church. Now, I was raised in a Pentecostal denominational church, and, and uh, I, I won't say exactly which one because there's things about it I loved, and there's things about it that I'm glad we're not that way. That's just being straight up. I, there's some heritage I like there, but when I grew up, we couldn't go certain places and do certain things because that's where the world was. And God had called us to come out from among them and be ye separate. I think that's in Deuteronomy. If not, it was in the first book of Imaginations, but it was quoted a lot. <laughs> And so, like, honestly, as, as a young person, I couldn't even go to the movie theater because the world was there. You can't go see seven. I remember babysitter one take my brother and I to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs when it hit the theaters. And mom and dad was like, I'm sorry, but the world hangs out there. And they're going to show previews, and they might not be rated G previews. And so I didn't see a movie till I was like 15, and I snuck into a theater, and I watched The Fugitive. It's a great movie with Harrison Ford. I thought I was going to burn in hell the whole time, but what a great movie. <laughs> because I was with the world, and the world and I were sharing popcorn and watching Harrison Ford figure out who had killed his wife. It was awesome. Right? Like, we couldn't go to the bowling alley because people drank beer there. That's the world. Cigarette smoke, beer drinking. Oh, no, son, you can't be around the world. They will contaminate you. And so the only thing we could do growing up is playing putt-putt. <laughs> to this day, I can smoke you in some putt-putt. If I can't beat you, I'll cheat. But either way, I'm going to win some putt-putt. Welcome to my house. Call me Flo Rida. Anyways, um... <laughs> And so for me, this is, I always thought we have to stay away from the world. We have to stay away from the world. Like they will, they will contaminate us. And I understand, I understand what the confusion of this was all about. Because when you look in the Old Testament, there are those scriptures where God said, Israel, I want you to be a part. I'm setting you apart. I'm making you holy. Tear down the altars of the pagans. Don't engage with people of not like faith. Don't marry people that don't share your faith. Right, and so they would talk about that, like, hey, you you gotta you gotta be clean, ceremonial clean, and so ceremonial ceremonially clean, and so I understand where that came from. But then Jesus came and did something completely different. In fact, it was so radical that John, when he's writing the book of John, the gospel of John, you know, he starts in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the same was in the beginning. And we, you know, and it kind of goes through and then he gets to verse 14 of John chapter one. And John says something that when you think in the, the shift of the perspective and the context of being set apart from and being a part of all of a sudden we get and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the unclean people. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus did something radically different because holiness meant I wasn't set apart from. Holiness meant I became a part of. If you come to First Step, and I would love for you to come to First Step if you're new to our church, January 20th, 9 a.m., you get free stuff, hang out with cool people. We believe there's leadership in everybody. We'll help you find your leadership and make an impact for the kingdom. Come to First Step. But one of the things I'm going to challenge you in First Step, because I think believers need to be challenged with this, is if you don't have some heathen friends, please go get some. Right? Like, you need to have an atheist friend. Right? You need to have friends that, that you don't think believe in Jesus. You need to have friends that show up to work drunk. You need to have friends that you think are out of control. You need to have friends. I'm not saying you need to live like them. I'm not saying you need to club with them. It's not a prescription for being crazy. I'm saying that being holy means we're going in and engaging and being a part of the world around us, not set apart from the world around us. Some of, the, some of the greatest help that I have and what keeps me from being, I think, being grounded and being helpful is that I engage with people that don't believe like me, don't think like me, don't look like me, don't talk like me. I engage with those type of people because it helps me because those are the people I want to reach, right? And I have relationships with them and I, and I, I gain a lot from those relationships actually. And so Jesus came And he did something radically different because in the Old Testament, we're set apart from, but all of a sudden, like in the New Testament, you're not allowed to, when the New Testament gets here, you're not supposed to touch a leper because a leper is unclean. And if you're clean and touch what is unclean, you will be made unclean. But then Jesus does something weird. He starts touching lepers and even something more weird happened. They became unclean or they became clean and he didn't become unclean. So in the Old Testament, if clean touched unclean, clean became unclean. But now with what Jesus did, now the clean touched the unclean and the unclean became clean. The one with the issue of blood that touched Jesus, she shouldn't have been allowed out of her house because she had a flow of blood. She was unclean, yet she grabs his garment and Jesus didn't go, ah, like a mouse was getting him or something like that. Jesus looks down, he's like, hey, who's touched me here with this woman? And he's like, hey, now you're clean. Like Jesus, he's coming into town one time and they're lining up around the the road where he's going to come into town because here's this guy who the only problem he ever had, the only conflict was just with religious people. And he seemed to love everybody and he had all these nice things to say and he did all these great miracles. And he's coming into town and people are just trying to get a, a glimpse of him. And there's this one man named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, because we're politically correct, because everybody in our world wants to be offended about something. And we spend most of our energy trying to figure out what we can be offended about. That's why we have social media. And so but because of that, we'll just say Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. And so Zacchaeus couldn't really see, so he climbs up in the street. Now here's another thing about Zacchaeus. He was a part of an elite group an elite group of heathens. He was, he was a tax collector. And regardless of what you think about tax collectors today, back then they didn't have a good reputation. They stole from people. They overtaxed. They skimmed. They did all of these illegal things. They were just thieves that were deputized by the government. And so Zacchaeus had done so many people wrong and everybody knew it. And, and tax collectors were so vile that they were grouped only with another set of people called sinners. Like read the Bible, tax collectors and sinners. Like they were so bad, they couldn't just be a sinner. 
but, 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 but also so bad they're in the same context, right? Couldn't just be a sinner. No tax collectors. They're worse than sinners. And Jesus is walking by and Zacchaeus up in a tree and he's just trying to get a, a glimpse of Jesus and Jesus stops and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, um, I'm going to go to your house for dinner. And there's a gasp. <gasps> if he knew, what, how many times you read the Bible in the New Testament and they're like, if Jesus knew this, if Jesus knew her story, if the pastor knew what I knew, they'd never be on Dream Team. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They could be greeting. Do you see what they post on Instagram? But yet Jesus says, hey, I'm going to hang out with your house. And we don't know exactly all that transpired at, at, at this, this dinner between <laughs> this person who's worse than a sinner and Jesus. We just know at the end of it, this unclean person became clean and started giving money back to people that he had done wrong to. Because now holiness was not about being set apart from. Holiness was about being set apart or being a part of. It was about engaging with the world around us. And so Jesus looked at his followers in Matthew 28. He looked at his followers and he said to them, he said, guys, he didn't say, now I want you to gather in a building, even though that's a part of the New Testament church. He said, now the mission is to go out from the building. It's not a sacred place. It's not a sacred text. It's not a sacred person. It's a movement with a new covenant, a new commandment, a new ethic. And I want you to go out and love. And I want you to go out and serve. And I want you to go out and engage with the world around you. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go to the unclean. I want you to go to the unreached. I want you to go to the unloved. That's the movement. That, that's what I want to see. And you're not asking them to change so they can be a part of. Jesus never started with an initiation. He only started with an invitation. He never said, hey, you got to change this if you want to follow me. He just said, hey, follow me. Because Jesus knows if we hang out with him long enough, something different's going to happen in us. And so he doesn't start with initiations. He starts with invitations. And here is this movement. What is the movement? That we are a body and we are called to love and we are called to serve and we are called to engage with the world around us. I love my church. I love my church because we are trying to do something that might be a little different than some places we've been. Not, not because we're smarter, not because we got some corner on the market, but just because we're just trying to simplify things down and say, hey, this is about a movement of people galvanized, galvanized around an empty tune and some teachings of Jesus, and we're called to go out and to love, and we're called to go out and to serve, but we are called to go out and reach the unreached and love the unloved and serve the unserved. And so as we start this year and as we start this series, I Heart My Church, that's where I want us to focus our attention. I want us to be a part of the Jesus movement, not the temple model. We are a movement, not a monument. And when we build a building, we're not building a monument. And the day it becomes a monument, I'll ask God to burn it down. Does that make sense? We're creating a place where people can come and be challenged and grow, but then people can become a part of a movement. And that's why I say today, this year, join the movement. It'll be the best year we've ever had. The best is yet to come. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?